it is good to see you this morning, and I really mean that because when I was first asked to come and speak, uh, I was expecting to speak to an empty room this morning and stare at that camera back there, and I've never done that, so I'm not sure I would have known how to act, so I'm very glad that things have changed and that you're here this morning. It was the summer of 1981, and my wife Sherry and I were in Mexico City participating in a summer missions program with Latin American missions. It was a nine-week program in Mexico City where we worked with youth, vacation Bible school, and different types of outreach. Uh, Sherry and I had been married about 18 months at this point. Um, and we had, I had left my job as a physical therapist in Fresno to participate in the summer program. Sherry had taken a leave of absence from her job as a nurse at Fresno Community Hospital to participate. We'd been there about eight weeks. This was somewhere around the end of the eighth week. And she and I were sitting on our two cots, two cots that had been our beds for the last eight weeks, in a Sunday school classroom that had been our apartment for the last eight weeks, and we were praying. And we were praying about our future. Um, as I said, we had left our jobs, and we thought when we came back from Mexico that we were going to leave Fresno, where we were living at the time, and move to Colorado and do the next number of years of our life in Colorado. We both readily acknowledged that we didn't necessarily feel called in the sense of God calling us to go to Colorado for some specific thing. But we also both readily acknowledged that we didn't necessarily feel called to stay in Fresno either. And so this was just a, a freedom of adventure for a young married couple. We wanted to explore and enjoy Colorado. At the same time as we prayed, we were clear with the Lord that if he had something for us that we were not aware of yet, something more specific, a location or a thing to be involved in, that we wanted to be open to that and to submit to what he had for us if there was something other than Colorado. Our time in Mexico ended. We came back to Fresno. And, and, and I should say, as we prayed, that Sherry got even more specific. And she prayed that... Asked the Lord that if that was going to be the case, if there was something different, that he would show us before I took my job hunting trip to Colorado. He's a little more bold than I am in prayer. So we were back in Fresno. It was about two days before I was going to head out to Colorado to do that, that job hunting. And we got an invitation from the InterVarsity staff director in Fresno to come to dinner and join him and his wife for dinner that evening. I knew Steve, who was the director. I had been involved with student leadership with InterVarsity at Fresno State. Uh, I had uh, actually volunteered some with InterVarsity after I graduated and was working as a therapist in Fresno. So to make a longer story short, um, that dinner led to an invitation for me to consider coming on staff full-time with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and to serve as a campus staff member in some town called Santa Maria, <laughs> a town I had actually never heard of and I have, had never visited. So it was a drastic redirection from our thought of adventure in Colorado. But I have to say that I think Sherry and I both felt that we were pre-prayed for this invitation. And even though it was literally 180 degrees from east to west, we made the decision before the next morning that that's what God was calling us to do that led us here to Santa Maria in 1981. That's when we became a part of Grace Baptist Church. 
1982, I began serving with InterVarsity, and this church has been a partner with me and my work with InterVarsity, which has taken many forms over the last 38 years. Um, but the church has been a faithful partner for which I've been very, very grateful. There's two things about this whole process that stand out to me. One is that this decision was shaped by prayer. Uh, Sherry and I were praying, and as people were praying for us in Mexico, they were also praying for our future. And so God used those prayers to direct us and guide us. The second thing about this decision process is that it, it began a journey for me where I began to, to, to learn about the idea and experience what it meant to be in gospel partnerships. And I learned as I began my work with InterVarsity that having partners with you in the work of the gospel is invaluable, and I would say even indispensable for the work of ministry that you're called to. So I want to spend some time this morning talking about this idea of partnership in the gospel and what it might look for each one of us here this morning. It is Global Outreach Sunday, so it seems like a good topic to take up. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but Grace Baptist Church, and I think you probably are aware because I think the GO team does a great job of keeping you informed, but Grace Baptist has partnerships with at least 24 different individuals or couples and families who are at work in the work of the gospel outside the boundaries of the church in some other part of the world. 24 different couples or individuals. I just think that's that is amazing that the church has those types of partnerships. What, I, what I'm hoping, as we think about the church having those partnerships, what I'm hoping this morning as we think about partnership in the gospel, is what I'm hoping is that you personally will understand more of the potential that you have to have an impact through your own partnership in the gospel with those who are out doing the work directly. Because I think it's a tremendous potential that you have to bring about an impact for the gospel. And I do mean you as a person. I think it's absolutely wonderful collectively that Grace Baptist is in these partnerships, but I think there's even, uh, there's a role for us to play as individuals as well. The Apostle Paul spoke often of this type of partnership, um, not always in the exact word using the term partnership. He may have talked about being co-workers or co-laborers as he wrote to the various churches that he planted and then continued to pastor. And one of the places that he talks about this partnership is in, the, in his letter to the Philippians. And so I want to look at that a portion of the very first chapter of Philippians this morning uh, to see what Paul has to say about this idea of partnership in the gospel. And as you listen, I'm going to read from um, Philippians 1, 3, 3, 11. And as you listen to this, I would just encourage you to think about, as you hear these words, um, what type of relationship is reflected in these words? What type of relationship is assumed by Paul as he expresses these words to the Philippians? So this is Philippians 1, 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, since I have you in my heart. 
And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. There's probably a lot we could take out of that short section of Paul's words, but I want to land on two things this morning in general. The first thing that I see in this section is that Paul understands partnership to be relational at its core. It's built on a mutual bond in Christ. Listen again to verses 4 and 5 when he writes, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The term that is translated here as, as partnership is the, is the word koinonia. And it's a word that you're probably familiar with. I think the very first camp I went to as an university student, the camp was called koinonia up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. We see the word used a lot and it's often and probably most often translated as fellowship. Um, it, it carries a sense of oneness, of uh, mutuality, of commonness in Christ. It, it kind of reflects the type of relationship um, that the scriptures kind of expect us to have when it says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That type of commonness, that type of bond. Paul doesn't hesitate to use the word affection for the Philippians when he describes the nature of his relationship with them. If we look again at verses 7 and 8 in this passage, we say, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you, for all of you, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Partnership in the gospel is built on our mutual bond in Christ, and it expresses itself in affection for one another. That's the the first thing I see Paul um, saying about the nature of being partners in the gospel. The second thing that I see in this section to to look at this morning, it's clear that Paul sees prayer as a vital part of this partnership. So it was great to hear Benji say that one of the things you all know about it, grace is how to pray and spending time in prayer. Because Paul sees just this is an essential element in the partnership in the gospel. And in fact, he, he assumes that it's going to be a part of that relationship. You know, it's so common to see Paul praying for those he's writing to when he writes to the churches and taking the time as he's writing to let them know that he's praying for them. So in verse 3, in this, this opening to his letter to the Philippians, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. They know he's praying for them. And then later uh, in verse 9, he talks about the specifics of that and actually writes his specific prayer to them. And he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, and then continues. So Paul did not hesitate to let those that he was writing to know that he was praying for them. 
As Paul refers to prayer, for me, it, he, there's a couple of things that stick out that he understands about prayer. And the first is that he sees prayer as a reciprocal practice in, go, in gospel partnerships. Okay, he sees prayer as a reciprocal partnership. Paul not only lets those that he's writing to know that he's praying for them and that it's a joy for him to pray for them, but he also invites them, and indeed he urges them to pray for him as well. Uh, this isn't as directly seen in the letter to the Philippians as it is in some of Paul's letters to the other churches. So to the Romans, when he wrote to them in Romans 15, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying for me. Pray that I would be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. And then to the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he writes, He, God, will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. And then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. To the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, he writes just very straight and forward, Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And finally, to the Thessalonians, he writes in chapter 3, Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us, so that the word of the Lord may spread and be glorified everywhere, just as it is among you. So while Paul feels compelled and to pray for those that he's writing, he does that with joy. He doesn't hesitate to ask and urge others to pray for him. So prayer is a reciprocal relationship in gospel partnerships. The other thing I see that Paul sees about prayer, and this may be a little bit of a not real revelatory necessarily, but I think it's, it's noteworthy for us to think about, and that Paul sees prayer as something that transcends space and time. Or at least it transcends space and distance. We could talk maybe differently about time. And what do I mean by that? Well, as Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians, he is actually in prison. Some form of imprisonment, either in prison or at least in house arrest. And he is likely either in Rome or in Ephesus. Those who, the scholars who look at this say those are the two most likely places that he is at as he writes, either Rome or Ephesus, it's hard to know which one for sure. If he's in Rome, he's 1,200 miles away from Philippi. He's 1,200 miles away from those that he's writing. And you might think about how long it might take this letter to get to those folks as he's writing it to back in that day. So that's where time comes in a little bit. But Rome is 1,200 miles away, and if it's Ephesus, he's still 100 miles away from Philippi as he writes to the Philippians. In either case, Paul knows that prayer can close that gap. It can close that gap. He, he is convinced that his prayers can have an impact on the life of the Philippians from 1,200 or 100 miles away. And he's, he's assured that if they would pray for him, their prayers could impact his situation, whether it's in Rome or Ephesus. Again, it's not necessarily a revelatory thing, but it's a good thing for us to be reminded and think about, that we can be involved with those in ministry around the world and have an impact on what they're doing through this thing that God has given us called prayer. Prayer can close the gap from Grace Baptist 
to these 24 different folks and families around the world who are ministering the gospel. It can close a gap from Santa Maria to North Africa, where Zach and Beth Powell are ministering among the urban poor and Muslim communities. It can close the gap between Orkut and the Philippines or Cambodia, wherever Mary Larson is right now, ministering at the Cebu Graduate School of Theology. And it can close the gap from Napomo to Bangkok, Thailand, where Carl and Diane Long are ministering with teams. And it can close the gap between Santa Maria and Togo, Africa, where Josh Freeman is working to plant churches. You can be involved, should you choose into prayer as Paul talks about and expect, to have an impact on the work that those are doing. And if they pray for you in this reciprocal relationship, they can have an impact on your life as well. Prayer effectively closes the gap. <clears throat> I heard a pastor once encourage his congregation with these profound uh, simple but profound words about prayer. And this is what he said. He said, let's believe that prayer is necessary. Let's believe that prayer is necessary. Does that phrase sound familiar to any of you? It might, because it was Pastor Benji who said those words in July when he was speaking out of 2 Corinthians. I think, I think it's, they're profound. Let's, let's believe, because don't we struggle at times to really believe that prayer is necessary? But there were a good word from Benji for all of us and all of you to believe that prayer is necessary. And building on that this morning, I would just take it and, and add another line to it. Let's believe that prayer is necessary and be involved in praying for those, our partners in the gospel around the world. Let's believe that prayer is necessary and be involved in praying for our partners in the gospel around the world. There's an African proverb that I was made aware of recently. And the proverb goes like this. It says, when you pray, move your feet. When you pray, move your feet. I don't think this proverb is about dancing while you're praying. But I do think what it's about is not letting prayer become an excuse for idleness or non-involvement in other practical ways in the work of ministry. When you pray, move your feet. So the gospel is built on the spiritual reality, or gospel partnerships are built on the spiritual reality of our oneness in Christ. They involve the assumed practice of this mystery of prayer, but they also have a very practical element. And Paul refers to some of these very practical things in his letters to the churches. And I want to share with you this morning four ways that I think we can move our feet when we pray that I think are consistent with Paul's letters and admonition to the churches. The first of those four things, and, and I should say, I want you to know that as I, as I prepared for this morning, I was thinking of you and assuming that you would be thinking about what it means for you to be partners in the gospel, what it means for you to be involved in ministry as a partner with those who are out doing ministry. So when I think about these ways of moving your feet, I'm thinking of ways that you might actually be involved in these partnerships. And the first one I think about is learning. That 
we take the time to learn. We think about our partners who are out wherever they're at doing ministry. We take the time to learn about their context, the place and the people where they're ministering. Uh, what, what is the history like in the place where that, what's the culture like where they're at? What are the current issues that that part of the world is facing? What are the spiritual realities that are there? Um, if we take time to learn and understand these things, it helps us understand both the challenges and the opportunities that our partners are facing. And it helps your prayer to be more focused and more informed. And I think it helps us to grow in our understanding of God's kingdom and God's creation. And that not everywhere in the world looks like our daily experience. And that has implications for how the gospel goes forward in those places. So learn about the context where your partners are ministering and learn about the nature of their ministry and what that they're involved in and, and how they're trying to, to meet the challenges and the opportunities in those contexts where they're at. This will, again, will grow your understanding of what they're involved in and I think it will help focus your prayer for them. So learn, and the second thing I would say, a second way to move your feet is to communicate. And I know this seems simple, but I think it is very significant. I think it's common for those who are involved in ministry, doing the work wherever we are at, to continue to communicate back to our partners. Uh, for 38 years with InterVarsity, I've written a prayer letter every three months for 38 years. It's one of the things that I've actually not failed to do in this work while failing probably at many other things. But, and I think it's reasonable that uh, as churches are in partnership with others that they hear back from those folks and hear what's going on, how to pray. But I think sometimes we don't think about the communication going the other way and us communicating to those who are out in these various places doing the work of ministry. And I think it can be a significant way to especially encourage folks who are out there through words of encouragement. It can be, words of encouragement can be a true gift to the, our partners in the gospel. Listen to what Paul says again here in Philippians in verse 6. And I want you to think about this. So Paul is writing this letter, right? He's deciding what to write. Obviously, he's inspired by the Spirit in, in, in some way. But he's thinking about the Philippians. He's thinking about their life reality. And he's thinking, what do they need to hear? How can they be encouraged in the Lord? And so he either writes or uh, dictates, whichever he is doing, in verse 6. And these are the words that he offers to the Philippians. Being confident of this, I, Paul, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but depending on what my situation was, if I heard that from someone who I saw as my leader, my pastor, someone called by God into ministry, that would be a tremendous source of encouragement. And Paul thought about those words as he sent them to the Philippians to be an encouragement to them. Words of encouragement can be a tremendous gift to our, our partners in the gospel. This was true for me recently. Um, I, this is actually will be my final year with InterVarsity. So in, in June, I'll be, I'll be ending this part of the journey. And so as I got ready for this last year, I needed to contact uh, the folks who have been partners with me and let them know that this was going to be my last year, what I would be involved in, and to ask if they would continue 
their financial support through the end of this year. It's one of the things that we need to do. Um, fortunately, I have amazingly generous and faithful partners, some who've been with me for almost all of the 38 years, and pretty much across the board, people are, are, are staying with me and have really made, um, just have been generous toward me. But I wrote and I asked people to respond and just let me know what your intentions are so I know what, what my financial picture is. And there is one woman who wrote back. This is a very simple line in an email. But I want you, I'm using it as an example of how significant words of encouragement can be that you may not even think that much about. This was a woman named Bernita who'd been a student at UCSB when, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was involved on campus there. And uh, she has been a, a faithful partner with me for a number of years. So this is what her email said when she wrote back to me. She said, sure, I'll support you for your last year with InterVarsity. And these three words that just, um, just went to my heart, these three words, she said, wouldn't think otherwise. Wouldn't think otherwise. And I, I have to tell you, I mean, I've been involved in ministry for a lot of years, but those three words meant just a ton to me that she was saying, there's no way I'd step away from what you're doing. I believe in you. I'm willing to invest in you, use my resources. All those, that message came through. And it was an affirmation from her of what the Lord is doing. So those three simple words, I wouldn't think otherwise. Uh, just those types of words that you can offer to those in ministry can be a tremendous encouragement. So don't underestimate the power of words of encouragement and be willing to offer those to others. The third way you could move your feet, and this is like maybe a lot of moving of your feet, but would be to visit those who are your partners in ministry. Now, this could be different if someone's involved in ministry in the Pomo or in Bangkok, I understand, but visiting someone and seeing them in their context can be such a, this is just like a tremendous form of encouragement. Um, I know it's a huge thing. I know it's unusual, and I know I'm asking for something that may not even be thought of. Put, put it on your bucket list. Why not visit someone in Togo, Africa? Why not visit someone in Bangkok and, and be a source of encouragement for them and learn and see what they're involved in? Um, again, this is kind of like the first one, learn. It's kind of like learn on steroids. As, as if you go there, the things you will learn firsthand are just tremendous. So think about visiting, if it's appropriate. And that's one thing I would say, don't show up unannounced. Uh, in some places, it's not helpful necessarily for you to visit, depending on what the cultural and, and social situations are. But if it's appropriate, think about actually visiting, and spending time with someone in their context and learning more about what they're involved in. And then finally, the last of the four that I would say, so learn, communicate, visit, and the last one is to give, to help meet the material needs that is a part of the gospel partnership. In Philippians 4, this very, very practical part of gospel partnership comes out in Paul's writing. And the Philippians had been involved in helping to meet some of Paul's material needs. And in, in chapter 4, verses 14 through 18, here are some of the, my abridged notes on some of the things that he said. He said, it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, 
Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus the gift that you sent. So part of this gospel partnership between Paul and the Philippians involved provision for material needs. And it's a clear example of the practical side of gospel partnerships. I realize that financial support can be a sensitive area. And I think especially now in the, in the season we're in, in the pandemic, when many folks are being hit with uh, employment issues and uh, finances are not necessarily an easy thing. But I didn't want to leave it out this morning because of our current situation, because I do think it's part of a gospel partnership. And funding is an ongoing reality for folks who are out doing the work of the gospel. It's just an ongoing reality. And I have a high value, and as I mentioned, in the, my partnership with you all at Grace, uh, the church has contributed to my financial budget for these 38 years, and I'm grateful for that. And I've had other churches that have also been a part of my ministry partnerships and have helped provide for me. And it's a, it's a gift, and I do not want to downplay those partnerships in any way, shape, or form. But I do just... To give you a view from behind the curtain a little bit, from uh, the, the side that I'm on of that partnership, not with you, but just in general, um, about 25% of my budget is met by church partnerships. So that means the rest of my budget over the years has been met by families, individuals, couples who have chosen to stand with us, some in this church who have chosen to stand with us. So it's a, it's a significant part of a partnership. And please don't hear me in any way saying this is an either-or. You know, support the church or support those who are in work outside the church. It should be a both-and. And I think the core issue is for us to cultivate generosity and be willing to give for the advance of the gospel what God has provided for us. But this is another way to move your feet when you pray. I think it's a great proverb, African proverb. When you pray, move your feet. Well, as I said, uh, your church, this church, our church, <laughs> is part of gospel partnerships with a multitude of men and women at work around the world for the sake of the gospel. And so I just want to encourage you as I finish up, I want to encourage you and even challenge you this morning to think about making some form of that partnership more personal for you. You know, maybe there's someone that you know of these 24 people that you're familiar with, and maybe there's ways that you could deepen and cultivate a partnership with them because you already know them. Or maybe there's a part of the world that you're particularly interested in. It seems to keep coming up, and God brings areas of the world to mind over and over again. Maybe there's someone of these 24 folks who are involved in that part of the world, and you could find out who that is and, and be involved with them. Or maybe there's a type of ministry, a specific community or group of people that you care about and you wonder if there are folks who are doing that type of ministry out of Grace Baptist, I would encourage you to talk to the GO team, to talk to Carl or Daniel Hathaway or Benji and, and find out uh, who these folks are, what they're involved in, and how you might be able to cultivate a partnership with them. A partnership that looks like the partnership that Paul expected to have with those that he was involved in the work of the gospel with.
I believe God's kingdom advances through partnerships with people. And I would just encourage all of us to be a part of that kingdom work. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are uh, grateful and amazed, really, that you invite us to be involved with you in establishing your kingdom through the work of the gospel. We're mindful today of the men and women and families who have responded to your call to uh, devote themselves to this work of the gospel in specific and unique contexts around the world. And we ask that you would continue to encourage them and empower them for this work. Help us to understand what it means to be partners with them in the work of the gospel. Uh, give us ears to hear how you may be calling us into deeper partnerships and give us faith to respond to that calling. We pray to this end in Christ's name. Amen.